I said when we started the book of James that there would be some sections that could be hard. Some just hard to understand, but there may be some sections that feel like we're getting a Holy Spirit punch right in the face, right in the gut. For some of us today, this might be one of those sections. And if that's the case, praise be to God. Because we don't want to come to this place and walk away the same. We want to be transformed. We want to look more like Jesus. We want to grow each time. My prayer today is as we work through this text, although some of it may be hard to hear, that these hard words that James has for us today, that God has for us today, would help create soft hearts. Hearts that are willing to receive what God is saying. And follow him. So let's jump into it as we normally do. We're going to work through this verse by verse. Go ahead and look down at your scriptures or up on the screen. should be up there too. We're going to start verse 19 and work through the text together. Again, reminding you, he had just said, James had just written, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Reminding us that it comes down from the Father of lights. And he says, verse 18 is key as we transition to 19. Listen to this, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now we transition. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to to anger. We said before that this is James's practical wisdom from above. That's the, the, the title of this series. And it sounds very similar to a lot of the things you would read in the book of Proverbs. What's interesting is why is this said so much? Why is, it always, why is Scripture always talking about being slow to speak and quick to hear? It's because we don't do that very well. Many of us, we don't do this very well. We are quick to speak slow to listen. We are. We are. We're a people that just love to give our opinions and not really understanding what other people are saying. And may I even go a bit further, may I say that we are sometimes very quick to speak about things and slow to listen to the Word of God. Because I think that's ultimately what this is connected to is we're not listening to the Word of God. We're not quick to listen. That quick to listen part there, it kind of has this idea of a rapid pursuit. Not just like, oh, quick to listen. No, you're, you're quick to listen because you want to learn from it. You want to hear what's going to be said. I'm anxious to hear what's going to be said. I'm quick to do that. Now again, we don't want to listen to foolishness. We want to listen to wisdom. That in particular comes from the scriptures, but I think this is true of one another as well. I think we can be, we can work better at rapidly pursuing one another to listen to one another. What's what's going on in your life? What's hurting? What advice might you have for me? Slow to speak and slow to anger. 
How many of you would classify yourselves as slow to anger? How about if we got in the car and we drove down the interstate for 10, 15, 20 miles, would you then go, maybe I'm not as slow to anger as I thought I once was, right? For me, it kind of depends on the situation. Something I don't care about that much, that doesn't inconvenience me that much, I'm so slow to anger, I'm really laid back. Something that I hold dear, that starts to get infringed on, my rights, you start messing with that area, not as slow to anger anymore. Again, do we all get angry? Yes. Is there, in a sense, a godly anger? Yes, there's a righteous anger. But in your anger, do not sin, is the encouragement. So listen as he continues on. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. At a first reading, I just kind of read past that. Okay. But then I started to think on this a little bit more. Why would James say this? Walking around town at night. Just, why would he say, why does he feel the need to bring up for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God? First of all, what's the righteousness of God? Two things. Righteousness of God in one sense is the fact, the righteousness that we're given, Martin Luther called it the great exchange. What that means is the sinfulness that we have, we give to Jesus, and Jesus gives us his righteousness. It's an exchange. Okay? Kind of picture, have a jacket on. I take off the jacket, give it to Jesus. Jesus takes off his jacket, gives it to me. Okay? Righteousness. Being right before God. Just before God. None of us have that on our own. We can't. There's nothing we can do because we are sinful. Our natures, our works, sinful, need a new heart. Part of what God does is He gives us a new heart and He gives us Jesus' righteousness. How do we accept that? We accept the gospel that Jesus, His perfect life, right? His, his birth, which we've talked about many times, virgin birth, why important? Again, because His nature. He doesn't have a sinful nature like we do. He lives a perfect life. We don't. The life we should have lived, he lives. He dies on the cross in our place for our sins, becoming sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He dies there where we should have died. He takes on the wrath of God that we should have taken. After three days, he rises because he didn't do anything wrong. Death couldn't hold him. When we believe that, we get a new heart, new affections. Again, our mind still needs to come along a little bit. Our flesh, as we talked about on Wednesday night. So what happens is you're given the righteousness of Christ and you stand before God not guilty. Not just forgiven, but not guilty. Incredible. That's one sense of the righteousness of God. Here, though, what I think is being used is another way to understand the righteousness of God is things that you do that God approves. Does that make sense? Things that you do that God says, yes, that's a good thing. Now, be careful It's not good things that we do so that God loves us, so that we earn our salvation. Not that. That's not what we're talking about. It's things that because we're loved, because we're saved, because we're made new, we now can do these things, and God says, yes, that's a good thing. As we read at the end of the passage, helping widows and orphans. That would be something that God would say, yes, good thing, as long as there's a right motive, which is key. Not just a motive of, I want to be seen helping the widows and orphans, and I want you guys to think I'm really nice. That doesn't work. Okay? But again, things that God approves. So as we look at the text, it says, 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What I think it's saying there is the anger of man, just because you're angry, doesn't mean God's going to approve what you're angry about and the way you're angry. Let me, let me go with you on this for a second explain this. Sometimes I feel like if I get angry enough, if I get loud enough, I'm right. I'm right. What are you angry about? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm angry. I'm offended. So I'm right. Do, do you know what I'm talking have you, have, you, have you had this before? It's all over. Whoever yells the loudest, they must be the right ones. Now, even, watch this now, even if I'm right about something, let's say a brother in here, Brother Jamie over here, he's lying. Okay? I may be right that he shouldn't be lying. How do I respond to him? Is it in anger? Judgmental, unloving, unkind anger? Guess what? Just because the thing I'm talking about is true, he shouldn't be lying, that doesn't mean that's going to be the righteousness of God because I'm doing it wrongly. Okay? So sometimes people think, oh, you're mad, so you must be right. Guess what? Just being mad does not make, does not show the righteousness of God. God does not approve things just because we're angry. Okay? Is he lying or is that Example. Jamie's not lying. <laughs> that I know of. All right, let's jump in the next. Let's continue on. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does? doesn't say that in the text, but what does? Let's, let's, let's continue on and see if we can find out what does. <clears throat> Therefore, why is he saying this? Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Anger is not going to produce righteousness. And in fact, what we need to do is we need to put away all filthiness. What's that word filthiness there? Basically, picture clothing, a jacket, if you will, that has stains on it. Grass stains, manure stains, whatever it is. Picture that that's on there. Okay, it's filthy. It's dirty. What we're supposed to do, the way this really should be understood here, when it's saying, therefore put away, it could really be translated, having put away already, having this jacket that's stained with this sin and filthiness, take it off. Take it off. This is a, this is, we also see this in the book of Colossians, the idea we're to take off the old self, take off sin, take off these other things, and put on the new. What he's saying here, so if we want to find the righteousness of God, if we want to do things that are pleasing to him, let's take off the filthiness, the sin, the anger, the gossip, all those things. Take it off. Leave it there. And what's it say to do here? Look, look at this. This is key. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What I want to say about this is this receiving. He's going to go on to explain in the next verse what it really means to receive the word. That first part with meekness is in humility. It's that same idea of in humility, receiving the wisdom from God from above. It's the same thing, receiving the word of God. 
receiving the word of God. If you remember, I read it to you just a few, uh, few minutes ago. In verse 18, I'm sorry, ver- yeah, verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's how we became Christians, by the word, the gospel. That gospel, the good news of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, then is implanted in your soul, in your heart. Well, where do we see this idea? I'm so glad you asked. Karen, good question. Let's go into Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. Go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. It's going to be up here on the screen too. Listen to this. This is out of the book of Jeremiah, and this is talking about the new covenant. The new covenant of God. Listen to what it says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But listen to this, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. You hear that? Taking the word, the gospel, I'm going to write it on their hearts. Yes, the house of Israel, which by extension goes to all peoples, were grafted into Israel, if we have faith like Abraham. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and, his, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord! For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. That's where the idea is coming from of this implanted word. Go back to James. He's saying that the the word of truth that brought you forth, now put off all this other stuff, all this sin all those things you shouldn't be doing, put that away for now, or forever, put that away, and hold to, receive the implanted word that's in you now, that you're a Christian. Receive that. What happens is you have the gospel inside of you, you have God's spirit inside of you, so as the word comes, you understand it, and you obey it. This implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That idea of save your souls definitely is talking about salvation. But the idea of salvation in the Scriptures is interesting. It's we're saved, we're saved, and we're being saved. We're saved and we're being saved. And this Scripture is enough to save you, and as long as you receive it, it's enough to keep saving you to persevere till the end. Okay? So now here it goes. This is where it gets a little tough. What does receiving God's word look like? What does receiving the implanted word look like? Verse 22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That deceiving yourselves at the end there is actually the same word that's talked about when false teachers come and they deceive people. Get them to follow something false. Get them to believe lies. Get them to not follow God. In this situation, if you're a hearer of the word only and not a doer, guess what? You're deceiving yourself. You're leading yourself 
astray. I need this to hit you guys in your hearts. I need you to see the truth of this. Verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, if you're someone who just hears God's word and you don't do anything with it, that's what it's saying. If you hear God's word but you don't do anything, now again, this is not, I'm not saying that you have to do some things for Jesus to love you, for Jesus to die for your sins. I'm not saying you have to do anything there. He's already done that while you're his enemy. We don't do this so that God will love us. We do this because he loves us. But if you say, yes, God loves me, I love God, and you sit and you hear his word, but you do not do his word, that love is not there. We saw the same truth in 1 John together. Listen to what he's like. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. I need a volunteer. Anyone out there? Roy, that'd be great. Come on up here, brother. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah, you tried. You tried. This one you're, you may not forget. We might have to, I might have to ask for forgiveness after this one. Okay, come on up here real quick. Okay. Now. I'm already embarrassed. That's okay. You're helping us. You're serving us. So, he's serving us. Here's what we're going to do. Okay. They didn't have mirrors like we have today where they're just all you know, great and clear and things like that. We have mirrors, so it's true of the mirrors we have today. But let's just say something like this, where you can see your reflection, not perfectly, but this is probably more what they had, something similar to this in the time of James. They could use water, perhaps, other things. So this is what we're going to use as your mirror, okay? okay. He's the man that we're talking about in this, in this passage. Now, I'm sorry about this. Okay, I love you. I love you. I got some wipes for you. Keep saying that. I love you. I love you. Okay. So, now here's the thing. Check this out. The law exists to show us who we are, to show us our sin. Okay? It's a mirror. Okay? We have mirrors. Generally speaking, it's not so when we look up, we wake up, we go, I look great. It goes, oh man, I need some work. I need some work. Okay? Maybe not all of you. That's me. Okay? So, he looks into the mirror. This is what it's like. Listen, listen. He... This is what it's like. For anyone who's a hearer and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. So he's looking, and he's looking intently. He's seriously studying what he looks like. Now, do you uh, see anything on your face? Yeah, I see some dirt. He some, sees some, some marks. It's not natural. No, it's not supposed to be there. He sees some sin. He sees what he should have in his life. He sees that he, what he shouldn't have in his life, okay? Now, listen to what it is. If he's a hearer and not a doer, here's what's going to happen. Listen. He looks, at his, he looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he was like. He sees it, he's sitting here, he's hearing the word, and he's going, yeah, I need to make some changes. And then what happens? He goes away from the mirror, and he goes, you don't have to do this yet, he goes and he sits down, and he carries on with his life. And then he leaves here, and he goes to lunch. Hey, that was an interesting sermon. Yeah, I didn't know this. Yeah, that was interesting about history, this and that. And there's no change He doesn't make any changes. That's what this is talking about. When you're confronted with the word, you hear it and you do it. Love the orphans. Yeah, that's interesting. We should love I wonder what the Greek says about the orphans. Love them. That's what it says. Take care of them. Whatever it's saying, we're to do it. Does that make sense? Are you tracking? Okay, but Roy is not that man. Roy is not that man. He's not going to forget because he loves Jesus. He wants to change. So... You can take these wipes with you, brother, and head back right. down there right. and wipe those off. Get those off your face if you can. Do you want the mirror? Are you good? 
Go to Susan. Go to Susan. Thank you. Give him a hand. I don't tell him I'm going to do those things because I would th- he, would hide, he would hide more. It, it's fun, but here's the thing. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once and forgets what he was like. You cannot, listen to me, you cannot continually look in the mirror, continually hear the word of God, and then go away and not make any changes. What James is saying is, that's dangerous. I don't know if you really know God. Is that word truly implanted in your heart? Because guess what? You have a new heart if you're a follower of Jesus, and you have God's Spirit inside of you. He doesn't let you do that. But there are times, as Christians, that we struggle with this. Here's the encouragement. If you're not a Christian, you need to become one today, and you need to repent, and you need to look at that mirror and say, I need a Savior, and make that change today. If you are a believer, and there's some things in the mirror that you're seeing, like Roy just did, get it wiped away and move forward. Again, not so that God loves us. He already does. Okay? But because He loves us, we do this. And we want to do works that are approved by Him. Because we love Him. And He loves us. Are you tracking with me? Okay. All right. Let's continue. So here's instead, Roy doesn't do that. He does not walk away and just forget. He makes changes. How does he do that? Here's what it says. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, the law of Christ, this is different than the Old Testament law because, again, we couldn't fulfill that anyway. Christ does. He fulfills it perfectly for us, completes it. So now, when we leave a life where we're in bondage to sin, we're slaves to sin, we can't do anything truthfully but sin, we get a new heart, new affections, we have God's Spirit inside of us, and now we're under the law of liberty, the law of grace. We still obey because we want to, because we get to. So what we do is we look into the freedom that we've been given. And this, this idea of where it says um, that one who looks into the perfect law, kind of look at it like this. Here's the perfect law, and you're really getting down and examining the perfect law. You're really looking closely at it. And you're saying, oh, that's, that's the law, and I need to obey Christ because I'm free to obey Christ. I want to obey Christ. I want to obey His law. And he summarizes all the law, by saying what? What does Jesus say when he summarizes all the law and the prophets? Can someone help me with that? What's he say? Who are we to love? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And second, that's important, what is it? Love your as yourself. That's the law. You get to do that. You're free to do that. You're free to be quick to listen to your neighbor and slow to speak against them. You're free to not be angry with everybody or people who disagree with you. You're free. You don't have to do that. You can love them. You're free by the law of liberty to do that. Verse 25, he looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, continue following Christ, being no hearer who forgets, 
but a doer who acts, you will be blessed in all you're doing. This is the idea. If you obey God, you are blessed. Doesn't mean you're going to have a gigantic house and a boat and all those things. It's not that type of blessing. Okay? Yes, he does bless us at times with material things. We're to use those material things to be a blessing to others. But the idea of being blessed is God is with you. He's with you in whatever you're doing if it's in line with him. He's going to be with you. Lord, I really want to serve those people. He's for that. Lord, I want all those people to serve me. He's not for that. Okay? He will be with you. Last section here. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's right. Like that pastor says, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Here's the thing, guys. The idea of religion itself, yes, there's the, the, the big idea of religion where people have religions where they're going to try to do things to get to God. If I do this, if I do the, whatever, the sacraments, if we do the pillars of Islam, if I do these things, then I'm going to get, I'm going to earn my way to God. That's not true. That's a lie. That, that can't happen. God comes to us in relationship. Okay? So in that sense, religion's a bad thing. It's not true. Okay? What it's being used here in the sense are duties, things that we do that are pleasing to God, that are approved by God, going back up to the things above. So, if you think you are someone who is approved by God, if you think that you're somebody that the things that you're doing is approved by God, but you don't have control of your tongue, your religion is worthless. Absolutely worthless. Bridle of tongue, right? In a horse's mouth. We're going to get into the tongue again in a couple weeks. But let me say this. This is one of the hardest things, as we'll see in a couple weeks. If you can't bridle your tongue, then what ultimately it's showing is where your heart actually is. Because what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. If you can't control it, if all you can do is just curse brothers and sisters, all you can do is just say bad things, be disrespectful, discouraging all the time, don't do that. James is saying don't do that. If you do not bridle your tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He says, let me tell you what religion, what a good religion is. Now, this isn't everything that's included, but he at least says this. A religion that is pure and undefiled before God. A religion that God would say, yes, this is good. And let's notice how he puts this, before God, the Father. Every word in Scripture is important, reminding you, your Father your dad. This is what you can do that your dad's going to say, yeah, that's right. Do that. Well done. Here it is. Visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and keep yourselves, keep oneself unstained from the world. Are we doing this church? We need to ask ourselves this as a church and individually. Are we doing what we should be with helping the orphans or can we do more? And the widows. We have some widows in this church. We need to be making sure that we're taking care. And in addition to that, keeping ourselves from worldliness. Now, that's a big umbrella. But I think we can look at our lives and say, what I'm doing right now, the way I'm living my life, is that what Jesus says? Or is that what the world says? Jesus says this is good. The world says this is good. Anything. The way you're handling your business. 
who you're living with, what you're doing. It doesn't matter. Any of these things, you go, is this what Jesus, I, I hear, if I hear the word, am I hearing Jesus say I should, I should live this way? If so, live that way. Do it. If not, and it's, well, actually, no, this is against Scripture. This is against what Jesus says. This is the way the world lives. Stop it. It's dangerous. I'm concerned for your souls. Be careful. Listen to what Jesus says. Last, We're finishing up here. Matthew 7. Twenty-four through twenty-seven. Listen to how Jesus says. Now again, I'll say, "Oh, these are Jesus's words." That doesn't elevate his words above James's. Just so you know, just want to real quick say this. Sometimes we get confused on this. Jesus's words. I understand that some of your Bibles have them in red, and that's fine if you want to know what he said and this and that. His words, because all of Scripture is God breathed. All Scripture is from the whole is you know from the Holy Spirit leading men through. Just because Jesus said it doesn't make it more important than what James says. Okay, but let's hear what Jesus says about this topic. Okay. Jesus says, verse 24, Matthew 7, 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. See how he puts it together too? Jesus is putting it together too. Hear his words and do them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. That's how closely this is tied. Your salvation, your lives. Do, hearing and doing is that closely tied to salvation. It's whether you're putting yourself on the rock or not. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Don't build your house on the sand. Hear God's word and do God's word.